Welcome to the Change Board Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. My name is Karen Filfalan, and I am Change Board's Deputy Editor. Today, I'm joined by Peter Cheese, Chief Executive of the CIPD. For most of our audience, Peter will need no introduction. He joined the CIPD in 2012 and has spearheaded the Institute's work around developing HR as a strategic function, focusing on the role HR can play in the future of work and leadership. In this podcast, Peter discusses the skills of the future and how HR can drive productivity in business, what good work looks like to him and how we achieve it, and Kennedy discusses his achievements and aims after five years leading the CIPD. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast to receive our weekly episodes straight to your device. So, Peter, welcome to this Changeboard Future Talent Podcast. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Um, I thought a good place to start would maybe examine some of the work that CIPD is doing on maybe artificial intelligence, uh, what effect that's having on the workplace. So I know you've recently released a report into that. Um, I was wondering just maybe what impact do you see AI and robotics and automation having on the world of work and perhaps society more generally as well? I think the short answer is it's going to have a, an enormous effect. I'm always much taken with uh, Bill Gates's sort of quote on the future where he says we tend to overestimate what will happen in two years and underestimate what will happen in 10. And I think there's some truth in that. I mean, sometimes people think that the AI is going to radically change everything in a very short time frame. Sure. We are definitely seeing the fastest advances in technology that I think any of us have experienced, and artificial intelligence and machine learning is a very big part of that. Um, and we're seeing it coming into you know, many parts of work today, and whether it's chatbots and call centers or obviously using AI and, and a lot of these more analytical tasks that we have and a big part of work. Um, so I think we're already seeing it, and, 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 but I, I do believe, and we do believe, when you look at all these various surveys and research, that artificial intelligence, machine learning, and robotics will have a very significant impact on the kinds of jobs that we do in the future. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but you know, what does that mean? Does it mean less jobs? Does it mean <laughs> different jobs? What does it mean? But I think it can, I think, very safely be said that technology will have a very, very profound impact on the future work in the next 10 years. And you, you talked about that, having that impact. I mean, often we focus on the negative elements of it. You know, technology is going to take away our jobs. We're going to be reduced to kind of the manual labor. How, how can these technologies benefit the world of work? What, what kind of ways can we use it in a positive way? Yeah, and, and that's something which uh, I always like to start with. I think it is very, very important that we do ensure that technology is used in positive ways for the benefit of us all. Um, I mean, we've had technology in digital and artificial intelligence for you know, arguably many years, but I think we're on an accelerating point of the curve, as I've touched on. Um, but if you look back over history of, of technology in the workplace, it hasn't always brought benefit. Uh, if you look at some of the indicators of work today, like well-being and stress at work, and this always-on culture that we have, and many other things of that nature, it's sort of striking that you know there's some things we've got to learn from the past in order to ensure that if we're going to see more technology impacting work, we need to ensure that it is good for people, and that's everything from you know the stress of work and how we better balance our work how we better utilize the skills that we have. And what I find really intriguing in a lot of the debate about the future of work and technology is more and more we talk about the human skills, sure. you know, creativity, 
critical thinking, judgment, ethical uh, judgment, all those sorts of ideas. Um, and I think that's something we've got to really strengthen because interestingly, of course, if you look historically at what are the skills we've valued, they haven't always been the skills we valued. No. So how we build those skills is another really interesting question. But, but profoundly, I think we do have agency in all of this. We've got to make sure, particularly through the HR profession, that we're working closely with the, the technology smarts and all of the people that are developing these sorts of tools and ensure that we are... Yeah, cobotics, whatever you want to call it, that we are creating a world where people can work effectively alongside technology, not be consumed or overwhelmed by it. But, you know, I, I think there are also these debates about will there be fear jobs? There's a lot mm -hmm. of debates about the future of the professions. But I think the other thing that's different about technology now, or well, two things I'd say. One is its ubiquity. Okay. I think we are seeing it everywhere, in every sector, in every kind of job and role that uh, almost you can imagine. Um, and the second is its accelerating pace and a particular ability to work up what you might think of as the skills value chain. So okay. where we've seen technology in the past taking low, relatively low-skilled jobs, there's a lot of debate about this affecting much more high-skilled jobs. And, and is there any example of any organization you can see doing that well? I mean, we'll come on to it later perhaps, but obviously there's organizations like Uber and Delivery that people are on all about all the time. You know, maybe one thing we'll mention later is, is the Taylor review in, into working practices. Mm -hmm. But beyond those, is there anyone that you see making a difference for, for, for the good? Yeah, I think there, there are a lot of organizations, of course, trying to ensure that how technology is used is good for people. There are organizations taking an even sort of bigger view of this, which is to say that if technology is going to come in and displace jobs or, or whatever, then I have a duty of care with my employee, employees mm -hmm. to ensure that I either can reskill them and retrain them or I support them in moving on perhaps to other opportunities. And I think it's, it's those things which are just as interesting. So it's all the way from, I suppose, starting with a principle of, an, of, of a good employer, that a good employer would say, yeah, I have a duty of care. Mm -hmm. I can see these trends are going to impact work and they may be coming at us quite quickly. I mean, if we look at, say, financial services, which tends to hit the top of every survey of <laughs> sectors most likely to be disrupted, I have seen some of the banks and insurers saying, okay, we've got to start talking with our workforce now and we've got to start to talk with them about things like how do we reskill or upskill them or if we can't where are the opportunities we can support them in getting and I think that's taking you know a sort of broader and you know if you will ethical approach to this as well which I think is really important and um, you, you talk about some of the financial services you know uh, looking to, 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 to reskill and perhaps there's some ones that are more under threat we look at organizations like perhaps Barclays who are doing a lot around the digital mm -hmm. skills agenda and yeah. digital inclusion. Yeah. Um, how, how, how do you see that working? I mean, what more can organizations do that? So it's not just about, say, looking for new jobs. It's about, it is about reskilling people and getting people into the right areas. Yeah, I think the, the Barclays example is an interesting one. I think as, as a, a bank, they are trying to... Uh, <clears throat> position themselves for the future in lots of different ways, um, all the way from the skills building and the apprenticeship program to have inside the organization, but also seeing that you know they, they can help educate the wider community on digital skills and there's a lot of lot of debate today about digital inclusion sure, yeah. um, and the topic. idea that um, with the world of technology impacting almost everything we do 
if I am in a segment of society or whatever that has not had the opportunity to develop an understanding of digital in any way, shape or form, I, I don't know how to connect to the mobile world or the internet or whatever else, then I, there is a great danger of people being left behind. Mm. And, and the banks, you know, to some degree, are at the forefront of some of this. I mean, you, you see the debates uh, in the media a lot about our banks closing their retail branches because, yeah, at one level it saves in costs, but uh, they're also making the point that increasingly what they really see is that their customers are engaging through the, with them through digital digital form to yeah. so online banking uh, or ATMs and not needing to talk to people. So it, it, there are lots of interesting examples where, uh, as I said, you, you've got to have organizations looking at it within their four walls. So what are the skills and jobs they're going to have, but also beyond that to their customer base. And banks are a very good example of this, of understanding how they got to engage differently with their customers yeah. in a digital world. And, you know, you, you, the CIBDs often and yourself often use the phrase, you know, the future of work is human. And you've talked about the, the need for these new skills. I mean, what skills do you think organizations will need in the future? You know, you talk, so we talked about the banking. What other things are going are to come in in, in, the, in the next few years? Yeah, it's a subject um, that we're very passionate about. I mean, I think as, as the professional body for HR and people development, the whole skills agenda is a very mm. important one for us. One of the things that we're pushing a lot is this idea that we can't predict all the jobs of the future, which we can't. Um, <laughs> People have been trying for years. To <laughs> we've that, been so trying they? for years, and we can't. Um, but that, uh, you know, to go back to an early point, it doesn't mean to say we haven't got agents in shaping some of that. Yeah. So the debate that we're, we're encouraging and I think starting to get some traction for is that we need a much better conversation now about what are the core skills we're going to need almost regardless of the jobs and what we have tended to do in the UK in particular certainly if you compare us to other countries like Germany is proliferate qualifications and skills okay. and, and indeed um, we're, we're starting to talk to groups like the Gatsby Foundation who have estimated we have over 20,000 different types of qualifications in this country. Now that ranges from all the different degrees and high, uh, levels of higher education, apprenticeships, T-levels, etc., uh, etc. Et but we, we really do need now, I think, a, this debate about what are the core skills, the common skills. Now, at one level, it's basic employability skills, which we've been debating for a long time as well, and just need to land and say, these are the employability skills. But I think it's a level above that too. Which, uh, which you would absolutely include digital skills in. So whatever job I'm likely to do, and indeed these are life skills, um, what would I need to understand about the digital world? And what are the channels through which I can learn that through my school, my apprenticeships, or whatever else? You also look at other uh, common skills like financial understanding. I mean, I think one of the problems we have in many businesses, and particularly small businesses, is that people don't always understand the basics of finance. Okay. It also plays out in other things like savings and access to credit. And you, know, you can talk to the pensions minister and they'll say, we need to encourage more people in terms of lifelong savings. But if you don't have a basic understanding of finance, it's pretty hard to do. And then you very quickly get into what I've already touched on, which are the more human skills, yeah. so critical thinking, situational judgment, teamwork, collaboration, communication skills. And it's those core sets of skills which we strongly believe need now to be much more embedded in almost every kind of training or, or qualification that we have. And we need to find the channels to develop them better in the adult workforce because these are, I think, that combination of skills, the sorts of skills which should determine both yeah, life skills, if you will, but also future employment and job skills. Um, and why do you think it's been so difficult for us to almost define these skills mm. and find a way of, of, of mapping them? I, I think it's because we, we seem to have this 
way of thinking in this country, which is, okay, whatever we might have had in the past, let's invent a, okay. a new set of ideas. And then we have a lot of change in government. We have you know, a, a steady churn of ministers and in the education space. We have lots of new ideas that keep getting thrown on top of old ideas. And, and at some level, we need to sort of stand back and say, hold on a second, how could we rationalize all this better? Because I think it, it you know, if I look at it from an employer's standpoint, it's challenging. Um, employers are trying to get their heads around apprenticeships now. Um, um, we're going to have T levels to give me the next things. They've got to get their heads around. And how do you compare anyway between all these different qualification groups, um, whether it be higher education or anything else? So it already creates challenges for employers, let alone, of course, individuals. And how do I, as an individual or a young person, make the right choices? And, and, and the other challenge we have, I think, in education is specialization much too early on. Now, if we are moving, as we can all see, much more into a world where it's the so-called life of jobs instead of a job for life, we're going to be having more career changes as we go through our careers in the future, then demanding that young people should specialize so early or putting that pressure on them I think it's something we have to change. So it's it's a yeah, it's a big mountain to crack, if you will, in in terms of I think a long proliferation of culture in this country through our educational systems uh, around these things, and and that's before we've even talked about things like lifelong learning, <laughs> which is also a cultural shift we need to accomplish in this country. I, I maybe to go on that, you know, to look more to, to some other elements of the future of work. I mean, part of the kind of lifelong learning thing for a minute, but. You know, we mentioned the, the Taylor Review slightly earlier in, mm. in, in the podcast. Um, you know, it's fair to say it's had a slightly mixed reception amongst amongst people. But I'm interested on perhaps your take. You know, the principle of it is what does good work look like for, you know, for, for, for people? I'm interested on in what your take is on that. What does mm. good work mm. look like to you? Yeah, another very important point. I mean, I think just to touch briefly on, on Matthew Taylor's work, I mean, he... His, the exam question is what have we got to do about the gig economy and these sorts of different forms of job from tax and benefits and um, sort of employment legislation and, and that yeah, he, he put forward some, some ideas. Government is very challenged to know what to do with them, if, if we're yeah, really honest. The other thing he called out was this idea of good work. Now, it's not a new idea. Uh, the idea of good work has been around for quite some time. Um, it's something we've been researching. I mean, it's very, very linked to our purpose of better work and working lives. So how we are, and we're working with groups like Warwick Business School and others and, and uh, on the definitions of good work. Okay. We would say that good work um, has a number of criteria which are actually quite measurable, and they include things like is my job has my job got clear objectives can i understand its purpose as it links to other things is it making good use of my skills am i properly coached and managed and given the resources for me to be effective in that role um, and the outcome of good work are then things like productivity because if i've got good work which is utilizing my skills um, and i'm properly resourced to do what i need to do then i'm likely to be more productive um, engagement and well-being and it is important to talk about those things as outcomes because i think sometimes in good work we said okay good work should be engaging well yes it should but i think that would be an outcome of good work okay. um, so we and as i said it's not a new idea so there's been quite a lot of uh, debate on this we think we've got some good constructs on it which we're now very keen to promote because if we're saying the challenges in this country are productivity. The challenges in this country are things like engaging work. The challenges in, the, in this country are things like mismatch of skills because we've not invested enough in the, in the jobs that we have and the workplaces that we have. There are some unifying themes around all of those ideas. And, and we believe one of the really unifying 
ideas is actually the notion of good work. Um, so we're trying to pull together a number of um, actors and influences on that, all the way through into government um, and number ten, because I think there's some interest at this at the highest levels, which is to say, you know. Um, uh, all the way from governance, encouraging businesses to invest more in, in the kinds of jobs that they create with an understanding of what good work is, is a vital agenda for us today, for the things, the reasons I m- mentioned. It becomes even more important in a post-Brexit world because we need to ensure that this country is one of the best places to work and is properly utilizing the skills of our workforce. And of course, it's really vital when you think back to the conversation we started, which is, and what's the future work yeah. going to look like? And we need these definitions of good work to help us understand that. And is there anything you can share on it? Is there any, any kind of definitions you've come up with? Or yeah, I mean, I, I've touched on some yeah, of those yeah. sort of core aspects of what we, we, we see as good work. And as I said, it, it's it's based on uh, quite a lot of research has happened over a number of years and trying to now pull that together. It, it's also interesting to see this as an EU-level debate. Okay. Um, and it's also enshrined, interestingly, in the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, so which cover a whole range of subjects, including environment and everything else. But I think through you know, many um, channels such as United Nations and EU and, and hopefully the UK government as well, we can see that good work, if we get it right, is about sustainability all the way back to our purpose of better work and working lives. Because it also, you know, good work also encompasses the idea of inclusion and diversity. So I think it's a very important construct. And we do need to find these things that can draw us together as opposed to endless numbers of initiatives, all of which seem to be firing off in various directions, but not, not always clear how they join up. And what, what kind of role can HR leaders play? Like, you know, what questions can they ask their own businesses and, and how can they start to help meet those challenges? Yeah, of course, uh, you'd expect me to say this. I, I think HR leaders play a very, very fundamental role in all of this. Uh, you know, uh, the, the challenge that I've articulated for a while for the profession is uh, we can see this context. We can see the increasing pull for HR into the biggest conversations about the future of work, about corporate cultures, about skills and all these other things we've touched on. But, you know, if we're honest, we've also got to step up to that agenda. We've got to be a lot clearer on how we understand organization and job design and and culture and all these other things, as well as what we're doing to recruit and develop skills. Um, and we've got to have a stronger base of evidence for what we do. So another mantra we've been developing very strongly is this idea that we should be principles-led, evidence-based, and outcomes-driven, which really is about shift of mindset. And then it you know, comes on to those subjects of things like, what is evidence? Now, Going back to the conversation about good work, I mean, if we're saying, all right, that could be quite a central idea. Are we building the quality of jobs that will best engage people, that will best utilize their skills, and will drive productivity? Uh, you know, the OECD, amongst others, has long pointed to the fact that the UK is a laggard in a lot of this stuff. We're a laggard in how we um, train our workforce. We're a laggard in building jobs that properly utilize their skills. So, so if we can get a sharper definition of this, then that should be a point of evidence which HR can then start to to work with leaders and, and uh, businesses on to say we need to be investing in the workplace more in order to build the kinds of jobs that utilize our skills better and engage people and so forth and also drive productivity. So they're very big agendas. And, and um, But I, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think we can get there. But it, this, is, this is the opportunity and this is also the challenge for HR to step into that kind of space. And, you know, kind of on that, you, I believe you're now into kind of your sixth year as a, as a CEO of the CIPD how has that agenda kind of changed over those years? How, how has the profession changed in that time? I mean, there's been loads, you know, we've had Brexit, we've had different governments, we've had coalitions, we've had loads and loads of different things. So there's lots of things to deal with all the time. 
how, how have you found it and how have you managed to keep kind of an, a theme and an agenda running through your time here? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great question. When I started this uh, job, I was excited to take it on because I could see that there was a lot of change happening and a lot of opportunity need, uh, need for HR, as I said, to step up. Um, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's been a real roller coaster. Um, I, I am seeing, honestly, now more discussion at the highest levels of business and in government and regulators on very core subjects, which have been always very challenging for us, around things like corporate culture. Mm. Um, we're working with the FRC and the, the regulatory bodies and financial services like the FCA, all of whom are saying what we have to try to understand much better is what drives corporate culture because we can't change behavior in businesses by just writing endless more rules. So, uh, yeah, all the way from the kind of mantra of the past, which was a very much a comply or explain. Here's the rules, comply to them or explain why you haven't, to shift the agenda, not that you don't need some of that, but to shift the agenda much more towards a world which is, what are your principles? What do you believe in? Do you believe, for example, in inclusion? If so, where's the evidence that you are building a more inclusive working environment? So it is, it is quite extraordinary, uh, I think, uh, the, the pace of acceleration and acceptance by many who in the past have struggled with these sorts of ideas, all the way from things like corporate culture through into debates about good work, um, much more discussion, of course, on the future of work and technology, that even, I would say, in the last couple of years, I've seen an acceleration of that, um, which is really exciting. Uh, and th those are the things that I believe need to be, as I said, at the front of the, uh, the business agenda as well as the HR agenda. And it's very encouraging to see how much those ideas are getting traction. Now the question is, is can we really influence to make the sorts of changes we're talking about? And, and on a personal level, you know, your aims when you came into the role do you feel like you're you're do you feel like there's you know still a way to go do you feel like you're you're matching the achievements are you kind of where you expected as you said you've seen this acceleration externally in the last two years but what about personally yeah uh, personally um it's, it is very much cliche we're on a journey and we really are and we're on a journey for the cipd as well i mean i i've always said that there are sort of two sides to what i see one is i've got to help to move the professional body into a space where it is really supportive of its members we're engaging members effectively we've got great content great learning <laughs> we're distributing it we're digitally transforming our own business and that we are being a voice of influence for the profession into all of these big debates. And I think we're making progress on all of those, but you can never, you can never say the job is done. We need to continue to do more. I'm determined that we will, and we've done a lot to transform the CIPD. But we've also got to make sure, and this is a big agenda for us in 2018, that we do a more to engage the community and that to me is a two-way street you know the, I, I hear too many people just say oh well you know what's the CIPD ever done for me and they'll say that about a lot of things well to some degree you get out what you put in and I think it's very very important that that we encourage more people to actively engage and connect now that's with us and through us um, through you know obviously the kinds of things that Changeboard does as well actively engaging the community and from that we can all share we can build our own confidence we can uh, see what we really need to be paying attention to and as I've sometimes described it lift our head above the parapet so uh, that's another important thing that, that I think we need to encourage the community to do but yeah I'm as you said just I'm in my halfway through my sixth year now uh, I said to the board when I started I thought this is sort of and indeed to my family I thought this is a sort of five to seven year gig uh, I now believe I'm no more than halfway through I you know 
God willing, the board willing and everything else. Uh, I'm, I'm very keen and excited about the next few years ahead of us. We've got a lot of big things on our own strategy of transformation, as well as you know, uh, supporting and engaging on the big agendas that we've described. Fantastic. And then just a final couple of questions on a more personal level. So you, you've talked about maybe now being potentially halfway through rather than, as you said, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you maintain that kind of work-life balance yourself then? I mean, how do you keep yourself fresh? Yeah, it's very important. A lot of people ask that, and sometimes um, yeah, people around me worry that I, I, because I, I, but as you can hear, I'm very passionate about Definitely. these things, and I think that the things that interest you and get you out of bed in the morning and all the other things are the things that keep you going. And I, I don't have to sort of wind myself up in the morning on these kinds of subjects <laughs> and themes. I, I'm just very enthusiastic and very passionate about a lot of this stuff. Um, and and as long as I'm still, yeah, have that energy. Uh, another thing is I'm still learning and I always believe that and I say that all the time I think if you're still learning you're still passionate and engaged on stuff and you can make a little bit of a difference then you know what's not to like about any of those things and and I am very privileged to have the role I have um, and I enjoy it greatly I enjoy the networking the connection the collaboration the engagement of ideas and the opportunities to have these kind of conversations and there are not many jobs that give you that opportunity so I'm I'm as I said uh, really thrilled to have the opportunity to do this and it's i think intrinsic there from what i do that's what gives me the energy uh, to uh, to keep doing what i do and then just finally you know reference to our talk and you know cfpd being about uh, creating better workplaces and better mm. working lives w when have you felt the happiest at work yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I think um, there have lot, been lots of highlights in my career. I've been very fortunate. Um, there have been lowlights as well. I mean, there is no career that anybody has that's all plain sailing. You don't have some rough times. But I, I think the times that I would highlight is when I felt that I've in some way made a difference and, and, and made a difference actually all the way back to our purpose. I mean, uh, as, as you know, I spent many years in consulting and the most en engaging work I did was where I was working with real people on real jobs, not just the business leaders, but sure. the real people uh, and helping them to sort of figure out with them how could we improve what we do, which is creating a better outcome and of course the organization, but actually fundamentally creating a better outcome for the individuals. And that's been, I think, a sort of guiding principle for me throughout my career. And I've had the opportunity to do some of those things. But, you know, again, it may sound a bit cliche, but I honestly... Uh, do feel in in the sort of recent years in my role at the CIPD, I've had some of the the best times in my career because it it is an opportunity to pull together many things that I've believed for a very long time, uh, and I also sometimes reflect on the fact that my original training, my original degree, was in ergonomics, which okay. is kind of systems thinking, is how humans work with the system and technology and everything else, and it sort of almost feels like it's coming back full <laughs> circle now as we debate all these things about the future of work. Peter, uh, we look forward to welcoming you to the Future Talent Conference. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. You can hear more from Peter on the future of work, digital inclusion, and the skills agenda when he speaks at our Future Talent Conference on March the 22nd at the Royal Geographical Society in London. Our other speakers include Sir Lenny Henry on what true diversity looks like, Lord Chris Holmes on the impact of artificial intelligence on working lives, and Margaret Heffernan on the importance of friendship in business. Join 750 leaders to discuss the future of work by booking now at www.ftconference.changeboard.com. For more stories like this, follow us on Twitter with the handle at changeboard or visit www.changeboard.com.